This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call The Funniest Show on Television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 406th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a true trailblazer, and a living legend. A woman best known for her performances in movie musicals such as 1952's Singing in the Rain, 1956's The King and I, and especially 1961's West Side Story, for which she won the Best Supporting Actress Academy Award, making her the first ever Latina Oscar winner, she is one of only 16 people ever, and only 10 people still alive, who have achieved EGOT status by winning at least one Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, And she was also the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2004, the National Medal of the Arts in 2009, the Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award in 2013, the Kennedy Center Honors Lifetime Artistic Achievement Award in 2015, and the Peabody Career Achievement Award in 2019. And now, more than 70 years into her career, she is returning to West Side Story as an actress in and executive producer of Steven Spielberg's upcoming remake of the film. And she is also the subject of a documentary that premiered at Sundance back in January, was released theatrically by Roadside in June, and will debut on TV as part of PBS's American Master series on October 5th. It's Mariam Perez Rieras, Rita Moreno, Just the Girl Who Decided to Go For It, and she, of course, is the great Rita Moreno. Over the course of our conversation, the 89-year-old and I discussed her odds-defying journey from Puerto Rico to Hollywood and the stereotypical casting and abusive behavior she encountered once there, why an implied rape scene in West Side Story and a fight scene opposite Marlon Brando in The Night of the Following Day rocked her to her core, why she is convinced that the new West Side Story will avoid some of the same pitfalls that undid another recent film about Latinos in America, In the Heights, Plus, much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Life can be bright in America. If you can fight in America. Life is a right in America. If you're all white in America. Ms. Moreno, thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's an honor to have you. And uh, on this podcast, we kind of go through the major moments and turning points in our guests' lives and careers. Now, obviously, there is a great new documentary about many of those moments, so I hope you won't mind. Some of these questions will overlap, but my hope is that they'll whet the appetite of people who haven't yet seen the documentary to go check it out when it now comes to American Masters very soon. I can tell you that the, the I think the thing that give, gave me the biggest kick was that uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 100. Wow, that doesn't I mean, happen that, often. That's, that's a <laughs> big deal in America. Totally, totally. <laughs> well, and it's a wonderful snapshot of your life that audio an audio-only conversation cannot fully capture, but uh, we're going to try to give people a little sense of what, what they're in for with that doc. So always on this podcast, we begin by asking a guest if you would just share where you were born and what your folks did for a living. Now, you, uh, everybody I think knows where you're from, but if, if not... I was born in Puerto Rico in 1931, yes. which makes me 89 and about to be 90 Amazing. in December, yeah. on December 11th. My mom was a seamstress. And uh, I don't know what my father did because we left the country without him very early on. I have no idea what he did. And you never 
Didn't see him. I saw him only once. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't know what he did. I know what my grandpa did. He made cigars. There you go. And I remember the smell of those fresh um, kind of greenish tobacco leaves. I, actually, it's a kind of a neat smell. Neat, <laughs> It is. Yeah. I remember that. It was always on his hands. Well, it seems like from the documentary, you have very, you know, you were what, five when you left yeah. uh, Puerto Rico, but you have... I have, I have big sensory memories. Yeah, I was going to say, it's smells and uh, it's true. tastes and sights, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so you come to America, past the Statue of Liberty, you show up, and was it your sense, even at such a young age, did you appreciate or did you uh, did, did you kind of feel what I guess your mother might have been feeling, which was... This is like building, it's stressful. You got to build a hole. It was very stressful for me because it was, I think it was February when we arrived by ship, by the way. And uh, it was freezing cold. I mean, it may not have been freezing, but it was to a tropical Mm -hmm. child. (laughs) And uh, I remember asking her in the bus on the way to the apartment that we were going to settle in, which Mm -hmm. was my my mom's aunt. Mm -hmm. uh, I said, what happened to the trees? And uh, uh, she, she let me know. She said, it's called winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably, you never would have seen snow or anything, No, right? nothing remotely like that. Because <laughs> none of the trees had leaves. And I just thought that was so peculiar. Wow. So how, if you wouldn't mind just uh, sharing again, like you, within a year, I think, you, of, of arriving in, in the mainland U.S., you're... On, you're basically a professional, right? I mean, you're dancing at a nightclub. With- uh, well, <laughs> that was my dancing teacher and I. He, he partnered me. A friend of my mom's was visiting our apartment when I was bopping around the apartment. And uh, her name was Irene Lopez Irene. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, I think maybe uh, Rosita has a, a dancing talent. Can I take her to my dancing teacher? And my mom said yes, and I met Paco, Paco Cancino, who was Rita Hayworth's uncle, as it turned right. out. She was Margarita Cancino. Yes. And there was one point, and I think I was probably six, when he said to my mom, I'm going to be uh, dancing at a, at a Greenwich Village nightclub, and I would love to have Rosita dance with me. I will partner her. He was very short. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and my mom thought that was swell, and we did it. I partnered him. And the audience, of course, how can you not be charmed? You know, a grown man with long sideburns, he was very much a Spaniard, <laughs> had a fierce face. And this little girl, how can you not be charmed? So, of course, everyone was probably going, oh, isn't she adorable? <laughs> Yay! But he might have, would he have been the, well, I guess you say the, I, 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 Irene, but I guess between Irene and, and he, they're probably the first people to recognize that you really had talent. Yes. Well, she certainly did. And uh, that was my debut. And all I can tell you is that I thought, I like the attention. <laughs> this is really neat. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you mentioned that Rita Hayworth was not really named or born Rita Hayworth. And that was... I know the case with with a few of the people who preceded you in, into the movies. And I wonder, therefore, did you have anybody who you looked to when you were getting into the movies now that you were in America who you said, even if it wasn't your, your you know, hero or your favorite or your role model, but was there somebody who you recognized as, you know, somewhere? Yeah. Uh, that was Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there were no mentors for somebody like myself mm-hmm. then. I, I never even knew the word. Mm-hmm. And so I made her my role model. And uh, she was the girl I wanted to be. And she was the, the movie star I wanted to be. And uh, that's how th- that image came into my head. What she was, was it so about her? Beautiful. Just the... Oh, she was just extraordinarily beautiful. And she was a star. Yeah. And she was a star at my favorite, favorite um studio, MGM, which had all the great musicals. There were other studios that had musicals, but the, none of them ever matched the power yeah. and, and the, uh, the energy 
of MGM musicals because they also had Ann Miller mm -hmm. and they had uh, Gene Kelly mm -hmm. for Pete's sake. Mm -hmm. And he's going to come up here again in a minute. But I guess for you was the ultimate always the movies because it's pretty big. Broadway's a pretty big deal. And you were on Broadway at 13, I think, before, well before the movies. I was 13. Yeah. I made my debut and uh, we opened on Broadway and we closed the very next day. <laughs> And I so the you know lesson number four already <laughs> right, right right and I'm only what thirteen <laughs> God well and it was those those next few years I guess really all through the rest of your teens in hindsight must have felt like a whole roller coaster because as you talk about in the documentary there's the thrill of actually having your ambition realized of getting to not only join a movie studio, but the movie studio that you've just been talking oh, about. Oh, my dreams, yes. But then also, at 19, that that was over, right? That's when they dropped your contract. And I, a lot of people might have been devastated by that, and that might have been the end of the well, story. Well, I was devastated. Yeah. They dropped my contract because they didn't know what to do with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, they dropped the options yes. on my contract. And I was in absolute shock because I honestly believed because I was also a very naive young girl. Uh, I was always young for my years with respect to sophistication. Uh, I thought I was going to be there forever and that L.B. Mayer was going to be my kind of surrogate daddy. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was told that my contract was not being picked up, I was in absolute shock. Absolute shock. I just couldn't believe it. And I... I must have cried for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was just awful for me. Well, I guess just to rewind the story uh, a short bit, you Yeah, because I've lived a long life. <laughs> I am 89. No, it's we don't incredible. have time for that. No, well, I, I just want to note, though, that so the, the way your opportunity to go to, go to MGM came about, you've... You, have said was there was a talent scout who saw you at a, a dance recital. Talent scout, yes, actually saw me, and they did things like that. Then they yeah. went to uh, the the he saw me dance at a high, at a uh, dancing school recital, but th these scouts did all that kind of stuff like they were supposed to. Do you remember who that scout was? Dudley Wilkinson. Wow. And did How you... can I ever forget <laughs> his name? Because he really changed everything. He changed my whole life. Yes. And was the person who eventually connected you with Mayer when he came to New York and you had that funny meeting you described? I had a funny meeting with the Mr. Mayer at the Waldorf Hotel. That's where we were supposed to meet. Right. And uh, I was amazed that when we got to his room at the Waldorf Hotel, the elevator opened onto his apartment there. <laughs> we were, my mom and I were just like, we didn't know whether to step off the elevator or not. <laughs> and they said, come in, come in. Yeah. You know, it was just a, a magical moment. And this was the man, this was the man who was responsible for the Wizard of Oz. Don't forget. And uh, Elizabeth Taylor, right? And Elizabeth Taylor. So, which, which it's just amazing the full circle nature of so many of your stories. We'll have it with West Side Story that it comes around again 60 years later. But there... You know, it was, as you say in, in the documentary, and as, as you know, I think anyone with a pair of eyes would notice, you were made up to look quite a lot like Elizabeth. Oh, I did my best. Yeah. I did the eyebrows <laughs> like her. I did my hair like her. Right. I had a waist cincher so that I could be a wasp waist like she was. <laughs> uh, I did everything I could. And uh, he saw that yeah. when he met me, L.B. Mayer. He said, my God, she looks like a Spanish Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> and I thought, victory! Right, right. Now, one of the things that I think the, the documentary does a great job of with the is, is pulling clips that illustrate why you were so frustrated with, you know, the things that were being offered to you most of the time at The MGM. Island Girls. Yes, exactly. Yes. And even, uh, of course, after MGM continued... Fox and elsewhere, but the the one time that you say you thought you were free of that was happened to be just the greatest musical that came out of the golden age, Singing in the Rain, where you were playing somebody who had nothing to do with 
your ethnicity was irrelevant. Exactly. It was wonderful. They put a very light makeup on me, which was unusual because usually I was suffering with all that brown stuff. Mm -hmm. And not that there's anything to, about being brown, but yeah. I wasn't and yeah. I'm, I'm not. And I wore a red wig and I played a movie star named Zelda Zander in Singing in the Rain, which, by the way, is still one of my favorite movies oh, ever. fantastic. What a great movie that was. Oh. And I watch it all the time because I love it. It's just brilliant. And I was going to say, for you watching it must be particularly special because, you know, we watch Gene Kelly literally singing, singing in the rain. And, oh, that's cool. But you were there on the set. I was on the set. Listen, I was on the set of almost every scene in that movie because mm -hmm. I, when I wasn't in a scene, and there were many I was not in, mm -hmm. it was a little part, uh, I would come and visit all the time. Mm -hmm. I would get all made up and as dressed as I could uh, for daytime. Right. And uh, I showed up at, on the set constantly. And that's one of the scenes that I saw in person. And I didn't know then that Gene had that, what, it was like 102 really bad. fever or something. Cold, yeah. And he did that whole number with a fever. Would you say that in the moment you realized that this was something very special or did it have to be cut together to kind of... No, I, you know, I didn't even think in those terms yeah. at the time. Yeah. I just knew that I was in a movie with Gene Kelly and that's all that mattered. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then when it turned out to be such a hit, I was just thrilled. And it was after that, I think it was after that, that I got fired. Yeah, it would seem because if that came out in 52, it must have been made in 51. And that's Well, I did an Esther Williams film there yes. also. Yes. So I'm, I'm trying to think if that was the uh, second thing I did there. Well, another kind of weird fun fact is that you have been a part of the two probably most famous movies from the Golden Age that, were, that had co-directors because both Singing in the Rain and West Side Story had two directors. And I wonder what that oh, was. Oh, what an interesting observation. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That's right. Gene Kelly had um, Stanley, Stanley right? Donan, yeah. Yeah. who was uh, helping him with ideas. Plus, uh, I know that Stanley was on the set all the time with his uh, finder, mm -hmm. and they were thinking of shots. And then later on, quite a bit later on, I did The King and I, Yes. and uh, Jerome Robbins was directing only... The musical numbers. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, guess who was there, too? Stanley Donan. He kind of is like the Zelig of the Golden Age <laughs> musical. It's amazing. That's a wonderful way to put yeah. it. That's right. <laughs> you bring up The King and I, and that was, I think, another sort of a... This now, you you have done Singing in the Rain. You have you part ways with MGM. I'm older. You're a little older. My 20s. And now you get the second shot at... A movie life at Fox and King and I, another one that's remembered very fondly, but I know that for you, not the most, it sort of felt like a return to the stuff that you had been trying to escape, right? This yeah. tough, tough team is right. not uh, yes. what you wanted to be playing. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I remember being screen tested for that part along with other young women, and uh, Franz Nguyen, who was on the contract there. Beautiful, beautiful uh, French-Chinese mm. girl, Franz Nguyen. She was mm -hmm. Korean, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember thinking after I left the set from the test, because she was there also that day, oh, she's going to get it. She has to get this. I mean, she's certainly looks right for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was truly shocked when I got the part. I was a contract player. She was not, that's it. She was not a contract maybe player. That's... And maybe that had something to do with it. But uh, I guiltily accepted and thought, well, you know, I'm thrilled about this. Mm -hmm. But I always felt a little guilty about France because I knew that really, even then, I knew that she should have been in it. She would have been beautiful in it. Well, and it's it's a uh, it was a, I'm sure a, a 
conflicting time for everyone because you're getting robbed of opportunities that you should have had because of one of similar considerate. Yeah. yeah. And it just it goes around and around. But you mentioned Jerome Robbins being there with The King and I, and obviously he was the one of the co-directors that we're referencing with West Side Story later on. And at least until I guess he was fired. fired. Right. Uh, yeah. But just overall between those two experiences of dealing with him, there's some people that have you know, you hear him talked about as a genius, but you also hear him talked about as a tyrant. Um, he well, was, he was, he was, a, he was, uh, he had problems. Yeah. And uh, he really, really did have problems. He, uh, he was very, very mean to the dancers. And it's not like he was exactly uh, warm and friendly either to the, his co-workers. Mm -hmm. But he had a dreadful reputation. Mm -hmm. He could be ex just excoriatingly cruel to mm -hmm. people right on the set in front of others. That's what was so shocking. Did you, you experience that? Uh, you know, I didn't, which was, I never quite understood that. Yep. I think he thought of me as someone who was unapproachable in that sense during The King and I, that yeah. is, because I was already a contract player. And I think he had some kind of twisted respect for that. Mm -hmm. That changed in, in West Side Story. For instance, during a rehearsal, we had a big group of dancers. It was called The Small House of Uncle Thomas. Mm -hmm. It was Tup Tim's uh, narration of the house of Uncle Tom and uh, Uncle Tom's cabin. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, one of the women in the chorus who was just singing, he picked on her and he said, you. And, and at that point, everybody knew he was a mean guy anyway, mm -hmm. so everybody just froze. Mm -hmm. And he, she said, yes, she was very timid. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, she appeared to be um, Burmese, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that. And he said, yeah, you. He said, are you wearing a girdle? And she said, uh, no, N no, sir. And he said, well, then stop moving like wow. you're wearing one. This is in front of, yeah, just I don't know, about at least... 80 people. It's a little sadistic there. It, yeah. Oh, you know, she must have gone home and cried her eyes out. It was so... He did that all the time. But, you know, he was a self-loathing man I'm anyway. Sure, yeah, projecting People like that yeah. usually hate themselves. Yeah. And I think he did. So I want to ask you about a random thing that I enjoyed coming across in my prep for this beyond the documentary. I, I think that it's sort of glancingly referenced in the documentary, but uh, I got to, I'm curious about more. And that is the Hollywood Studio Club, which I think is where you and a lot of other, you know, up and coming starlets live. In show business. Right. Like uh -huh. I know Kim Novak, we recently had on the podcast. And I oh, think did she was you another. talk to her? Yeah. And, and it's Does just. Does she remember me? Do you know? Oh, I'm sure. Of course. Of I course. wonder if she remembers I'm me. I'm sure. Because you guys were there at the same time, at right? At the very same time. And the idea was just essentially that, you know, if you're a young unmarried woman in Hollywood, it's safer to be amongst others than to be... Well, also the studios very often encouraged mm -hmm. uh, girls to go to the Hollywood Studio Club who were under contract to them, to the different studios, because they knew they'd be kind of safe. So but it's just I a remember place. her yeah. coming in the very first time I saw her there yeah. and I thought, oh my God, she, is, she was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I just thought she was just so gorgeous, but shocking. She was shocking. She didn't wear a bra. <laughs> I mean, you knew she didn't because there was always movement underneath, uh, underneath those sweaters. And I thought, oh, she's probably a tramp. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are the words we used. Well, but you know what? It's interesting. because she that, was gorgeous. You and she, now that I think of it, it just occurs to me, you know, I didn't know about some of the darker stuff that you were subjected to before you became a, a better known person yeah. in Hollywood. Uh -huh. She also has fairly recently spoken about some, some bad stuff that happened there. And it makes you wonder how actually widespread this must have been. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, very likely she had her stories also. Mm -hmm. She was really, she was a very sexy girl. Mm -hmm. And, and she had a lavender look in her white hair, was, I mean, which was so unusual. Mm -hmm. 
And but she didn't wear a bra, so yeah. you know what that said about you her. Must be asking for so it. So I'm or, sure, yeah, yeah. exactly, and yeah. I'm sure she got a lot of uh, unwelcome attention because of that. Well, I guess the 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 real fascinating thing to me is that the probably one of the most special moments, special periods in your life overlaps with one almost exactly with one of the darkest, which is you talk about in the in the documentary that because of this ongoing years long relationship with Brando, it kind of reached the point in 61 where you were, you were pretty depressed. I, I and, were done. I was done with, uh, with living. I didn't want to live anymore. Our relationship was just horrible. And, um, and the reason really I wanted to end my life was because he kept seeing other women, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I was. It finally occurred to me. I was in therapy mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. uh, psychotherapy, and it finally came home to me that he was always going to do this. That he had really no respect for me. The truth is, he didn't have respect for women, right. but I took it personally, and I thought I can't do this anymore. But I kept going back to him. He was like a drug. Yeah. We were both that way with each other. We were really just uh, not a healthy couple, to say the least. Well, so that... And so in order to end that relationship, I decided to end my life, not realizing that not only would it end our relationship, but it would end my life. Well, so that's the, the, what do they say, nadir, low point or whatever of your life at the same... 1961 is the year West Side Story comes out. Yeah. When you are getting more yes. acclaim than ever, people are suddenly giving you the love and attention that you wanted all, and respect all, all those years. Uh-huh. And these two moments are clashing basically they at the really same time. Are. They really are because it happened. I remember that uh, uh, when they took me to the hospital, my first and only visitor was George Chakiris, who remains to this day my Great, guy, Re- yeah. great and dear friend. Yeah. I, I love him. He's really special. Well, you both have. I want it whatever whatever you guys take because you both look decades younger than you are. It's incredible. It's true. We both have really pretty good genes. Oh my god! Yeah, I, uh, and he's a lovely guy too. I he's a lovely man, yeah, and yeah. He, as I say, he's been my friend all of this time. What is it now? Like sixty years. Sixty years. And and fun fact for our listeners: I don't believe that there are very many people who went essentially as each other's dates to the Oscars, we're both left with an Oscar. Oh, what a night. (laughs) What a night that was. West Side Story swept the Oscars. Yeah. And not until, um, oh gosh, what's the movie about uh, the... The ship, the fight. Oh, Titanic. Yeah, Titanic. yeah, 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 right. I think they either bested us by one or equaled us. I don't remember. So it's interesting because 60 years ago versus the what you're going to experience this year with the new West Side Story. Oh, God. Can, I mean, is this crazy? Is <laughs> the, Do I have a crazy life or what? It, it's certainly unlike any other. I guess, though... Let me ask you, we know what your relationship is with West Side Story going into this one. When it was going into the one that was made in 1961 or released in 61, how major was it in your mind? Had you seen it on Broadway where I guess it was Cheetah I did see it on Broadway. And in fact, what happened was when I was done with, uh, when we were finished with uh, The King and I, Jerome Robbins said to me, I'm going to do a musical uh, on the stage. In New York, and I said, he said, I would love to have you audition for the part of Maria. Wow, Maria! I mean, I, what did I know? Yeah. It was just the part of Maria, and he said, Would you fly in and, and audition for me? And I said, Oh, of course! I never did, and I didn't because I felt I had done way too many films, and that I was afraid I couldn't carry uh, a play. Uh, yeah, I, I felt I just probably, you know, you, I'd been, but I had done enough movies where you could do it again when it wasn't right. Right, right, right. Oh, so you are now, it yeah. make, I guess I've heard that before where it makes people scared to 
go to the stage. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I just didn't feel I could really depend on myself to carry it through. But was so was that basically so a straight offer? So then I went offer? to see the play, and that, that was an offer for a uh, or an, an audition. audition. Okay. Right? But look how much and, history and could have been different. And I didn't do it. I turned it down. Later on, I went to see it, and, and the play, yeah. and I thought, I think, and I saw Cheetah, who yeah. was fabulous, yeah. and I thought, I think I made a big mistake. <laughs> But I think I was right. I'm not sure that I would have uh, lasted. You think you, well, okay, so let me ask you this. How do you think you would have been as Maria instead of Anita? No, I couldn't have done that because that called for a legit voice and a kind of operatic voice. I don't, I, I sing in a regular, like what I call a pop voice. Okay, interesting. So I couldn't have done it anyway. In the movie, I guess you could have because that was Marnie Nixon, yes, right? Marnie Dixon. But she right. did she I know she did Natalie's voice. Did she was that is that your voice that we hear in the movie? Yes, except for a boy like that. Okay. And I couldn't sing I yes, all of all of the singing I did except for one very important number, which was a boy like that who kill your brother, forget that boy and find another. And the reason I couldn't do it is because it was too low. Oh. And I have, I've always had a very high voice and, uh, it, it was a very rangy song. It had very low notes and very high notes. I could make the high notes, but I couldn't do a boy like, in fact, it, it almost came out of whisper, oh boy, yeah, like that. Yeah. I couldn't hit those notes. So they found someone to sing for me, which was the, one of the saddest moments of my life. And I was there when the girl recorded it and I tried to get her to sing it the way I would in terms of emotions. Yeah. And um, it's always hard for me to hear that number or see it because she over-dramatized it. A boy like that will kill your brother. <laughs> Forget that boy. And I thought, no, I would never sing it like that. I would never sing it like That's that. That's so interesting. And, you and know, it kills me to hear this voice still. <laughs> <laughs> Still, because it doesn't it doesn't match my face, the even the expressions the, yeah. on my face. So one of the things that I really learned from the documentary was how close, in a sense, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like another song almost prevented you from moving forward with West Oh, the uh, America. Yeah, which when I, I think a lot of people, when they think they hear the name Rita Moreno, that might be the first thing that comes to mind. And yet that almost was the deal breaker for you? What happened was that, uh, first of all, let me say that I auditioned my arse off. <laughs> I auditioned the acting scenes. I auditioned the singing. I auditioned the dancing part, which is where I thought I would lose because I hadn't danced in ages. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't know that kind of dancing, mm -hmm. which is called jazz, interestingly. That kind of dancing is called jazz. I was a Spanish dancer. Big chasm between yeah, the two. Yeah. Anyway, I auditioned my arse off, and I finally I got the part. I was thrilled beyond measure, and I'm sitting at home celebrating all that. And I decided to look at the lyrics of America because mm -hmm. I wanted to learn them. And I hear, I see myself singing, Puerto Rico, you ugly island. Island of tropic diseases. And I stopped and I said, oh, my God, tropic, I can't do that. I, I, I mean, what are my people going to think? I can't do that. I'm playing us. Mm -hmm. I'm playing. And I thought about it and thought about it, and I just began to cry because I thought, I have to back out of this. Mm -hmm. No matter what, and I knew it was going to be a huge movie. I knew it was going to do all kinds of things, or hoped it would. Yeah. And I was about to call my agent, imagine. And I knew what he would say after all my struggles to get this part. He would probably start screaming and say, are you effing crazy? <laughs> what are you talking about? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I would tell him, I mean, I imagined all this in my head. And then I would tell him, well, you know, the, the, the verse and uh, uh, you ugly island, island of tropic diseases. And that he would still, he was an agent. 
What was he saying? I don't care yeah. what you're saying. I need my you, percentage. You, God. <laughs> no, and he also, he just, he, he worked so hard for yeah, me to get sure. this. And literally about two days later, I got a new script with new rewrites and new words to the verse of America. Purely coincidentally. Puerto. Oh, yes, I had nothing to yeah. do with it. People think I went to Sondheim. I wouldn't dare. I didn't know him. Right, right. And uh, it said, Puerto Rico, my heart's devotion. Let it sink back in the ocean. I thought, that I can do. Right. It's a part. It's not you. Not only it. that, and it's it's yeah. Anita who's saying right. who's saying I I don't like Puerto Rico. Right. I like America. Right. right. That's what almost happened. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's, again, one of these things where how different wow. life would have been. Wow. So you can win certain battles, or in that case, without even having to really fight for it. But there are others that it seems like, it, at least in because of the time period in which this was happening, you were not going to win. Like the fact that even now, when Rita, who is Puerto Rican, is being asked to play a Puerto Rican. They still have to put the mud on the makeup. The makeup. Well, be, that was really Jerome Robbins' fault. I found out much, much later, after the movie, I found out that he wanted a contrast. So he wanted all the Puerto Rican kids and the shark and the shark girls to be darker than the jets. In fact, some of the jets had very pale makeup. This was deliberate, and had their hair bleached okay. at his behest. I mean, uh, Baby John was not a blonde. Mm -hmm. Baby John had brown hair, mm -hmm. and they had these awful dye jobs. <laughs> and I remember saying to my makeup man one day, because the makeup was so dark that it would streak on my face, and you would see my own color underneath. And I remember saying to him, I despise this makeup. Why can't I be my own color? Mm -hmm. I said, I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah, right. And you won't believe his answer. He said, what are you, racist? <laughs> That that was so shocking to me. I didn't have an answer. I did. I just clammed up. Oh my! God. I could not believe he said that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the difference, I guess they say, between the stage and the screen is the camera, there's no faking out. The camera doesn't lie, right? If you, a little twitch, a little anything, it will pick up. And in your case, there are two moments, one in West Side Story, one later on with when you are now back acting with Brando, having broken up years later, yes. where it was more as much Rita as the character coming through. And I, so I wonder if we can just talk yes. about, so first of all, with West Side Story, this is in the candy shop where essentially it's like, I think as much of as rape to, could be implied, I used, right? I used to call that the near rape scene yeah, because that was what was intended. Yeah. When they lifted baby John up to lower him onto me, that's, I mean, you could tell pretty, what yeah. that was supposed to be. And uh, incidentally, people don't even realize that they were playing in the jukebox. Somebody turned on the jukebox. They were playing America. Oh, isn't that wow. wonderful? Oh, I've got to go back. No, and yes, watch that you again. really yeah, do. Yeah. Because you'll hear it in the background. Da 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 wow. da da da. It's so gorgeously ironic. Anyway, what happened there is we rehearsed that to death, where the boys are calling me terrible names. They're throwing me to the ground. They're lifting my skirts. And I, I don't know, I guess we'd rehearsed it once too often. This is before we started shooting it. You know, you always rehearse mm -hmm. before you mm -hmm. shoot a scene. Mm -hmm. And that one took a lot of rehearsal because of all the moves yeah. that, that the boys had to make. And at one point, I just started to cry. 
and I tore away from them, and I sat on the stool of the candy counter and put my hand on my arm and could not stop crying. I mean, I really couldn't stop crying. I tried to stop, and I couldn't. I just, and I couldn't even speak. I was just sobbing, 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 sobbing. And uh, I know now, of course, that what that did was open wounds that had never really healed from my past. Thing, uh, pre- presumably, including what you pr- talk about for the first time in the documentary, that your own frickin' agent had essentially... He raped me. Yeah. Yes, he raped me when I was 17. <sighs> yeah. And, uh, but all of those insults that were hurled at me, mm-hmm. all of those people ignoring me when I said hello or good morning at MGM, all of that obviously had its effect mm-hmm. more than I ever dreamed. Mm-hmm. And, um, all of those boys calling me Bernardo's pig, slut, all that kind of stuff and, and treating me horribly. It was a scene, yeah. but apparently not in my mind. Actually, it, it, I cried so hard we had to call an early lunch. Mm-hmm. And, and Bob Weiss said, why don't you go to your dressing room and, and you know, just maybe, maybe take a little nap mm-hmm. if you want to mm-hmm. and calm yourself down. So that's one, that's that of the first of these two examples, that's one where it opened up. Real life took over. Real life took over and, and maybe resurfaced pain. The other one in the night of the following day where it's you and Brando maybe was somewhat cathartic actually, because here you finally get to act out essentially what you've been (laughs) holding in. Well, here's the, here's the story on that one, which is really marvelous. We had a scene, we we play lovers in it. And by the way, this is the last time he looked really gorgeous. (laughs) He really looked beautiful. And, um, and I'm accusing him, my character is accusing him of cheating on me and we get into this very emotional, loud uh, argument and fight. And at one point, I'm supposed to slap him. I have a terrible time, to this day, hitting people. I, I've had the same problem with Faye Dunaway in a mm-hmm. movie we did together, a TV movie. I couldn't slap her. Mm-hmm. And I said, I just, I, I'm sorry. I'm so, you know, I'd go to slap her in a scene and then my hand would kind of yeah, stop. Yeah. I just can't do that. And uh, Marlon said, no, 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 you, you got to. What do you mean you can't? And I said, I, well, I just, I can't, Marlon. I, I, that's not who I am. He said, I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. He said, you, this is a scene. Mm-hmm. You're an actress. You're supposed. And he actually made me do it a couple of times in rehearsal by ourselves, mm-hmm. not on the set. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we ostensibly, it got fixed. We do the scene, finally, on film, and uh, I slap him, and he slapped me back. He, I don't think he meant to, but he got so angry. It was a reaction. It was a really a visceral reaction. He nearly socked, socked my head mm-hmm. off. He banged. He, I, saw, I actually know what people mean now yes. when they say they see stars. <laughs> That's what I, I mean. He Ugh. really, and I let loose and started to scream and yell and cry and attack him. Mm-hmm. And I remember his putting his arm up yeah. to his head or to his face. And you had the wine bottle or something. Yes, where, right, yeah. right. I mean, it was just, I went crazy yeah. screaming. The director very smartly let the camera mm-hmm. run. He didn't say cut. Mm-hmm. And it's still one of people's favorite scenes in that movie because it is so authentic. Totally real. Totally. And then when I came back to the hotel, we were in France. My husband said, how did it go? And I said, oh, man, I have to tell you what happened. And I told him. And, you know, of course, he knew that Marlon was my lover for ever and ever. And uh, I said, I'll tell you what, would you, when the the dailies come in, the dailies means that you see the the work that we've shot. I'm telling this to the the audience. (laughs) The dailies means that you will come into a screening room and see the scenes that have been shot several days before. So I said to my husband, when the dailies of this scene come in, would you go and look at it? I'm so concerned about it. And he said, sure. You sure? I said, yeah. Because I told him what happened. And uh, the dailies came in. He went to see it. And he came back to the hotel. This was days later. 
And I said, so? And he said, boy, you two are such good actors. Wow. Wow. What a mm -hmm. guy, huh? Yeah. Wow. My husband. He was. He said, less... you're both so good. <laughs> he was less on your side with carnal knowledge, though. <laughs> oh, he, he didn't want me to do it. Right, right. He just thought it was a dirty movie. Right, right. And uh, Carnal Knowledge was a very experimental movie written by Jules Pfeiffer. And uh, in fact, it was a brilliant movie about yeah. how men objectified women. And uh, Early Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. it, what an amazing film. I've done not many, but I've done some very interesting films. Totally. And that's, that's yeah. you know, and it shows that... How that good film, you are. In that, one scene, you come in and, and basically steal the movie. The bloody film should have gotten nominated all over yeah. the place. And because of the times we lived in, there were people who never even got to see it in Georgia because the Georgia Supreme Court banned it. And uh, that movie should have gotten at least three nominations. Oh, yeah. Well, and you Five certainly should have done one, one of them. Oh, yeah. Mike. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I don't think I would have stood a chance. I can't believe. And I see it now, and I think, yeah, yeah. I think that was worth a nomination. Sure, they, that Beatrice Strait got it for two minutes or whatever in network. I mean, yeah. this is it can, it, anyway. What's done is done, as What's they done say. Is done, yes, and uh, so just uh, I wonder as we kind of in the enter the home stretch, if I can just mention a few of the other projects that people associate very closely with you that contributed towards the EGOT and all of that. And just just a sentence or two of what first comes to mind when you think about these projects. Okay. So let's start with the electric company, which of course, for most people, when they think about it, uh, they hear you screaming your- Hey, you guys! <laughs> the electric company. Um, I was briefly, I was told by friends who are actors, don't do a children's show. You will never, ever get to do- adult parts in movies or TV again. Don't do it. And I did it anyway because I thought it was, I, I watched it with uh, Sesame Street with my daughter mm -hmm. and she loved it. And I thought that uh, children's television workshop was brilliant. And I'm so happy I did it. Did you deal much with that woman? I believe it was Joan Gantz. Cooney. Cooney. She was, the, the workshop, uh, was she, you know, I think if, just, Sort of one of these people that feel, I feel like they should probably be more remembered than they are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. just think what she did. Yeah. She did Sesame Street. Yeah. She did. She produced uh, uh, on her own in the sense that these were her ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, a show that taught children to read. And you know who it also taught? Foreigners. Mm -hmm. My husband's Tante Shoshi, Jewish, <laughs> called me one day and she said, Rita, darling. She said, I can't do the accent well, but I have to do it because that's her. And I said, hey, Shoshi. She said, you know what, darling? I read a can of peas today in the market. <laughs> and I knew what she, and I thought, oh, my, this show is worth its weight in gold. Totally. Because it wasn't just children who benefited from it. But a lot of them did. A lot of adults watched it. Yeah. Well, then there's, I understand that with... You, you know, I'm very proud of my participation in that, by the way. I always thought of it as a community service. Of course we was. got paid. But I thought of it as a real community service. Well, there's, you know, the phrase latchkey kids. There's so yes. many who didn't yeah. have somebody teaching them this stuff at home. So who knows they where they learned, would have been. But they should have learned, hey, yeah. you guys. <laughs> I am told that teachers and principals across the country went nuts because the kids were doing that all over the place. So that's that's uh, the first of these. The second I've got to ask you about the uh, the the Tony came for the Ritz, which Terrence McNally, who just passed away, but was mentioned on the Tonys yes. this week quite a bit. Right. Um, you're you're in. It's interesting because some people would their their reflex was to call it a kind of a caricature or something, or or you know they to say that it was sort of uh, stereotypical. My part. My part. Your part was stereotypical, but. You're, you're saying you're in on the joke. That's the difference. That's the, well, the whole difference is he saw me do that character at a party. Right. I invented her. Right. He never said that. Right. And uh, and he, he named her. He named her Googie, Rita Googie Gomez. And uh, you know what's interesting? I got no 
uh, uh, feedback from uh, Hispanics. They adored it because they knew that character. She was based on all the people I'd seen perform. She was so much bigger than life. You said Oz basically was the reboot of your career in the, in the, you know, towards the turn of the century. Is that, I mean, a, a nun in a prison? Me. Yes. Well, me as a, <laughs> you nun, as in a nun in a prison. Right. And I remember when it was offered to me and Tom Fontana, who wrote it and produced it, uh, offered it to me. And I said, wait a minute. I had a piece of cake in my mouth. We were having it. And I said, I took the cake out. I said, you are offering me the part of a, a nun. <laughs> and I said, and I said, you know what? I'm so flattered. But, uh, you know, the thought of, I, I said, with my luck, it'll be a huge success and I'll be wearing a wimple for the rest of my life. <laughs> and he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, no, you're thinking of Sally Field. No, 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 no. This is a very different yeah. and serious nun. Oh, yeah. He talked me into it and it's one of the best decisions I ever made professionally. One of the best shows uh, ever. But you know what? I couldn't find any work because I'd look not good in it. The lighting in a prison is not exactly terrific. Not flattering. And not flattering. <laughs> and I got turned down for a lot of parts because I looked awful, they said. Another landmark, of course, was One Day at a Time with Norman Lear, who uh, is another just remarkable Ageless person like yourself. He is. And what is he now? 90. No, no, he's, he's 90, 99. I think, yeah. Jeez. And here he's rebooting his own show, but but <laughs> with enough social con- uh, consciousness, awareness. Oh, tons to, of it. Yeah. I mean, as he's always had, but to now make this family uh, Cuban. Very relevant. Yeah. Extremely relevant. It's fantastic. And you, and you were just... Uh, you know, I don't think anyone else could have played that part where it's got the mixture of drama. You know, drama. She's a she's a little piece of Googie Gomez. Yes. And she's very dramatic. And she says things like, uh, we're going swimming at the beach. <laughs> and the guy says, you mean beach? <laughs> and she says, that's what I say. <laughs> well, but also at the same time dealing with. Real issues. Real issues. Real issues. And stuff that I'm sure, I don't know if the writers would write to specifically to your experience, but I'm thinking about where she's remembering the sibling that she left behind. Oh, it's You did, you heart, had the same thing. And it's a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. It's, a, I mean, I remember I cried so hard that the writers came to me and said, you're getting there too soon. Because oh, I started to cry like the moment I said that my mother, uh, so to two little dresses into one because mm-hmm. we couldn't pack much in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, that scene just absolutely Did they know about me. your own brother? Uh, I think they did. So maybe I they, think they did. They I don't know. You know, I never occurred to me. Mm. But um, because at the time I didn't experience that experience the way uh, right. Lydia, my character, right, did. Right, right. I just thought I was going to this wonderful place that my mommy was taking me to. So finally, we, I guess you get a call. You're just going about your life here in your, in your mid to late 80s and having a very happy, busy life. And you get a call and what is it? It's Steven Spielberg on the phone? Oh, <laughs> I, really, I have had an incredible life. It's Steven Spielberg on the phone. And I knew that, uh, I mean, it had gotten all around yeah. that he was going to do West Side Story and Tony Kushner who wrote the script of uh, Angels in America, yeah. was doing the script. And I remember n- thinking, mm, I wonder if that's a good idea. Because right. I, I thought of him as a very, very serious and almost doer political writer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I thought, West Side Story? I don't know. Well, but what it, what, He's it, never let me forget that, by the way. Well, but I mean, you're not, it's not an unreasonable reaction. That Why, you know, some people would say, and I'm sure until they see this movie, will say, why touch a classic that was a masterpiece? What, you obviously came to believe it was a good idea because you're not only... Well, let me let you finish about your conversation with him, but you obviously ended up... Executive producer. Yeah, executive producer and, and acting. playing a role in it, but not... Anita, obviously, no, no, no. Uh, playing uh, Doc's wife. Doc ran the candy store yes. where the jets hung out. And um, I am now Doc's widow, Valentina. Beautiful name, yeah. Valentina, yeah. and who's Puerto Rican mm-hmm. also. 
And uh, but I initially I said to Stephen, and he's by the way one of my favorite directors ever, ever. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you know, uh, I don't do. I was trying to be very delicate. I don't do cameos. And I said, I just, you know, honestly, I feel it might really hurt the movie. If and, and he interrupted me, he said, "Oh God, no, 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 no! This is not a cameo. This is a part, a real acting part." I said, "Really?" And he said, "I said, please send me a script." He said, "Absolutely." And that's how it happened. And being back there and seeing somebody else playing Anita and all of that was that it just was like surreal. Weird. No, it was surreal. It was weird. Actually, I thought initially and always that it was a great choice, Ariana DeBose, yes. because Ariana is an Afro-Latina. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that um, that uh, Anita should be that. Mm-hmm. She should be like Cheetah Rivera, mm-hmm. who yeah. also, you know, is yeah. on, the, on the, she's kind of a tan yeah. side. And um, so I, and she's, by the way, Ariana is superb, but she's a terrific dancer. Did she ask you for any advice? She was so nervous she couldn't talk to me. <laughs> I didn't expect that. I really didn't expect that. Yep. So I took her to lunch the first time I met her. And I said, let's let's sit down and get to know each other a little bit. And uh, I think she was very grateful for that oh, because sure. she was so nervous. In fact, when I entered the room, I was watching the kids dancing, rehearsing. And she was sitting there like way away from where I was and she was kind of hiding and then, and then I remember saying where's where's my Anita where's Anita <laughs> and she was just like really really nervous but she was she's terrific I heard you may have given her one suggestion I did I said I want to give you a gift mm-hmm. and I said and you certainly do not have to use it it's an acting point and I don't want to say what it is because I don't want people to be looking for that sure. but I I said there's something I didn't do in one of the scenes that I absolutely should have done it's it's a thing about dynamics mm-hmm. raising your voice and then lowering mm-hmm. it for effect mm-hmm. and uh, I've regretted that to this very day wow. I really have it's hard for me to watch and uh, but I don't think that uh, uh, Robert Weiss was that kind of director mm-hmm. who might have helped me to get there. Jerome Robbins would have, but he was no longer he with was gone, us. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, well, I can't tell you that because it'll give away what I did. Anyway, I said, you don't have to use it, but it's, I think, very effective. And it's what this scene calls for. And I won't tell you if she even used it. <laughs> so, but what was eerie yeah. was to be in the same scene with Anita. Yeah. When the boys uh, maul her, oh, the rape that scene again. where yeah. I, the, what I call the near rape yeah. scene. And in, the, in this version, it's even worse. I mean, she ends up half undressed, you know, I mean, from the yeah, back. Yeah. And the zipper's open and all that kind of stuff. It's really just killing. It's a wonderful scene. But to be in that same scene, seeing someone else playing Anita was very, very strange. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, you know... We are living in a time of greater awareness and sensitivity, obviously, about the way people and groups are depicted in movies. I know that I don't have to share this with, you know, you, you've, you've, you've uh, spoken and, and talked a lot about this. And I know that the, the whole um, thing with your friend and Lin-Manuel Miranda within the Heights was, I guess, a teachable moment for all of us. And I, I just wonder, do you think that West Heights- uh, You know what? It worries me terribly that we are, have watchdog groups of our own people. Right. That is scary to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that. I think it's wrong. Right. And, uh, and I understand why it happened and why it's happening but I think we have to be very careful that we don't turn against each other for Pete's sake. Sure. And I guess... Because maybe we made a mistake of some kind. Yeah, people. And we were all learning to... Yeah. Uh, learning in the moment to be better. But I guess, do you believe... So I'm I'm Jewish. I can understand if somebody says... My husband was one of you people. One, well, they, I, you're an honorary... You're an honorary... We're, we're happy a to, duet. Yeah, duet. <laughs> um, I guess the question is... 
knowing what what the whole you know debate was around in the Heights, do you think that is West Side Story going to be? It's not going to have that problem, okay, at all, because uh, I need to talk about Steven Spielberg and mm-hmm. Tony's contribution to this film. Mm-hmm. One of the very first th- things they did, and I wasn't there, so but I know the story. I just don't know the dialogue exactly. They called the University of Puerto Rico yes. and said, we would like to do, do you know about this? I'd heard that they really sought feedback. We saw, they sought feedback. They said, we want to do this movie and we want feedback. And can we use your, you know, your, your, your status to get people to come? And it's no charge. Just anybody can walk in. And, uh, and they, you know, he, they were told that there, there were some people who didn't like it and, and, and they said, well, that's exactly why we want to get the feedback. Mm-hmm. It's so important to us. I'll tell you this. They turned themselves into pretzels, those two, uh, trying to get it right. Mm-hmm. They, there isn't a Hispanic in this movie that isn't Hispanic. Mm-hmm. It's all for real. And they are their own colors because we are many colors. You know, this little island was, was taken over by the French, by the Dutch, by the Spanish. My grandmother was a Spaniard, and she's as fair, more fair than I. So I was the light one in the family. There were people in my family who were darker. So uh, that's why that remark from the uh, makeup man makes no sense. What are you, a racist? Right, right, yeah. right. So, but I, they made every effort. There wasn't a week that went by that they didn't have someone lecture them. They, they brought in people. They brought in academics. And everybody had to hear these you know, off-the-cuff lectures, mm-hmm. everybody, the jets and the sharks, mm-hmm. what it was like then, why it was then, all of this. There wasn't a week. In fact, the first week I joined them, which was for uh, costume fittings and rehearsals, dan- they were doing the dance rehearsals, they had somebody in. In fact, they, they cop- oh, cop- co-opted me, and Tony said, Please tell them about, you know, some of your life because he knows my story. And he'd say, oh, wait, you forgot something. What about this and that? <laughs> and uh, but there wasn't a week when that went by where they didn't have somebody come in and talk to them about those times. This West Side Story takes place in 1957 when San Juan Hill was going to be uh, destroyed and Lincoln Center was to take its place. When you see the sets, you are going to pee your pants. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I believe if, it, yeah. if, if this man does not get uh, nominated, I'm gonna. I'm Is gonna, that Rick? I'm gonna pick it. Who? I'm trying to think who. Oh, he's got a designer. German name, and I oh, yeah, can't no, no, no. remember the last name. Well, to they, say but he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Yeah. I came on that outdoor set, and I just went. Amazing. My jaw. Just fell with a clang to I'm my I'm sure knees. you remember what it was really yes, like. Yes, yeah. yes. We were in the ghetto. Even more than the the first movie. And he was a brilliant set designer. Yeah. Boris uh, Aronson. You've won every award that exists. You have a star on the Walk of Fame. You presented Best Picture at the most recent Oscars, the highest yeah, I know. Honor there is, even if they got the order of oh awards God, a little wrong. Oh, my God, was that a disaster or was that a disaster? <laughs> You're now immortalized at the Academy Museum. Is there anything that's actually left on the to-do list or are you pretty... You know what? Prepared? I just want to do more of what, what I do best, which is be a performer and an actor. That's I love what I do. Yeah. I absolutely love what I do. And I should mention that I just made a little movie. It's a little movie. I call it little because it's mm-hmm. a, a small budget. And I hope it becomes a cult film because it's pretty nasty and hilarious. What's it called? The Prank. Okay. And I play a uh, really mean <laughs> SOB of a science teacher uh, to whom uh, who whose students try to get even with her. That's all I'll say. Well, That's why it's called The Prank. I am so grateful to you for doing this, and what a what a treat to be able to uh, see all of your work and your example. And thank you so much for for all of it. Really this was a it. wonderful interview, by the way. You, you were you. really good at what you do. You do your homework, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, oh, especially you. now because I'm so talked out. <laughs> 
you can imagine how many people want to talk to me. I, I and everyone else with West Side Story. Oh my except God. I also have a number of other things going on as well. Well, anytime we can. Help so when in any I way. can, so when I can sit here and talk with you enthusiastically with energy, you know I'm enjoying myself, well, and I want to tell you that. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.